0: Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. I want to share the word with you, and I want to do so with some measure of brevity, because... um, because I have like seven sermons in one today. You can, you can actually thank Leslie for this because when we were, as, a, as our leadership team was together last year, um, we were working on defining, for the purpose of everybody involved, we were working on defining what our core values were going to be as a church. We knew the things that we really valued. We knew knew so much of what we wanted to include in this list of values that I've been preaching about to you for the last five weeks. And, And we actually had four of them dialed in. And one day on one of our leadership calls, Leslie said, What about God's character? We had talked about God's word. We talked about God's presence. We talked about God's family. We talked about God's culture. And then one day on this call, Leslie said, What about God's character? And I said, yeah, what about God's character? We absolutely value his character. One of the reasons we value God's character is because we are constantly in pursuit of our character being shaped into his character. How many of you want to be more like Jesus? Here's the rub, okay? Here's the the deal. You're already like him on the inside, right? Right? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to preach about this in a couple weeks. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that old things have passed away and all things have become new. Verse 18 says, now all things are of God who has reconciled us unto himself and given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. Do you know what the word reconciled means? How many of you have a checkbook? How many of you are old enough to know what a checkbook is? How many of you have ever had to reconcile a checkbook? I'm right on the generational boundary of starting life with a checkbook and abandoning it for a debit card and running the risk that so many millennials do of using that card as though it's just an infinite supply of cash and never looking at the check register. To reconcile a checkbook means you take your bank statement, back when you used to get one of those, and you take your check register, where you've been diligently keeping track of every penny that you spend, and you go, I need to make sure that the check register and the bank statement match. And if there's a discrepancy, you assume you're wrong. And you say, the bank has people Full time who count numbers and count pennies and count change, they must be right. I need to find where the error is in my checkbook and make sure that it's reconciled to the bank statement. You see, when you reconcile something, there's a standard and there's a thing that's being reconciled to the standard, okay? Why is this important? Because in verse 18 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, God says, Now all things are of God. Right. Verse 17 said, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. Verse 18, now all things are of God who has reconciled us unto himself. We think that means he brought us into his family, which it does, but that's the shallow version. What it really means is he reconciled us against himself. He took himself as the standard. He took you and me, and he said, I'm going to change this until it looks like me. I'm going to change this nature. I'm going to take this broken, mangled humanity filled with sin, and I'm going to reconcile it to myself so that on the inside you look just like Jesus. I know that's hard to hear because our religious mind has taught us for decades and for centuries that we're just a dirty old rotten worm of the dust sinner the heart is exceedingly wicked who can know it all that kind of stuff. You're not a worm of the dust. Can I can I can I kick over a sacred cow this morning? You're not a sinner saved by grace. You can't be. It's impossible can't be a sinner saved by grace you're either a sinner or you've been saved by grace and what happens when you've been saved by grace is you get reconciled to God and you look different now so on the inside I look just like Jesus and God loves me just as much as he loves Jesus he cares for me just as much as he cares for his son because I am his son and God doesn't play favorites we're all his favorite. I'm his favorite. And you're his favorite too. Amen. You parents, you ever have a kid? your kids come up and ask you, am I your favorite child? Who's your favorite, dad? Claire asked me that just the other day. No joke. She said, dad, if you had to pick a favorite, who would you pick? See, she's answering it right now. Me, me. <laughs> <laughs> So we are constantly in pursuit of God's character because his character is is what we want to pattern our lives after. And it's much easier to do that when you recognize what grace has done on the inside of your life, That, that your insides have changed. And now because your insides look like God, your outsides can too. The trouble and the problem that we get into is when we try to shape and manipulate our outside, when we try to shape and manipulate our actions without recognizing what grace has actually accomplished on the inside. If you don't know that you're a new creation, you'll never be able to, you know, stop cussing. Right? if you don't know that you're a new creation Christ, you'll never give up that addiction you'll never walk away from that situation you'll never treat your spouse the way you're supposed to if you don't know that who you are on the inside that has changed so we're in pursuit of God's character so when we talk about God's character we're talking about the standard that we always want to be looking towards and growing towards how many of you could grow a little bit this morning amen So we're going to conclude this series by by talking about God's character. In order to do that, we want to analyze several of God's character traits throughout the Scripture. This, of course, is not an exhaustive list. It never is. When I get up to do this kind of message, it's never an exhaustive list. How many of you figured out you're just not going to exhaust God? It's just not going to happen. Right? I could list every attribute of his perfect, amazing character, get to the end and realize I haven't even scratched the surface. There's still something about him that I don't know. The Bible talks about the seraphim in the, in the throne room of heaven, these six angels that fly around the throne. What's amazing, they've been doing this for thousands of years, flying around the throne of God, shouting, holy, holy, holy. And what's amazing is every time they come around the throne of God, they see a new attribute of him that they've never seen before. And that's what prompts them to cry, holy is the Lord. If, if those dudes have been doing that night and day for millennia, you and I have not scratched the surface yet of his character and of his attributes. So this is not an exhaustive list by any means, but it's a great start in our own personal discovery and journey of getting to know who the Lord is. Amen. How many of you want to know God even more? Amen. Before we get into this list of his character traits, there's a pattern that we need to express, and I want to do this quickly. That is that there's a pattern by which God always reveals himself. If you study the scriptures with any measure of attentiveness... We recognize that there are patterns that God uses. There is a pattern that God uses when he reveals himself. How do we know the attributes and the character traits of God? It's because he reveals them to us. And how does he reveal them to us? He reveals himself in a pattern that we see almost 100% of the time in Scripture. And that pattern is this. If you're taking notes, you may want to write this down. The pattern is this, that he speaks and he demonstrates. When God wants to reveal something about himself, you can check this all through the Old and New Testament. He shows up, he speaks, and then he demonstrates on what he has spoken. Okay? How did Moses get to know God? Do you remember? Saw him at the burning bush, didn't he? What happened when Moses saw this bush that was on fire? He was walking. I believe the fire was there not because God wanted to, you know, impress Moses. He just needed to get his attention. Moses is out in the wilderness, and he catches out of the corner of his eye this bush that's on fire. And as he turns and looks, he realizes that's not fire like what I'm used to, because the bush is still there, and it's not consumed. I wonder how long he stood there before he realized that. Did you ever wonder about the funny thing, the weird details of the Bible? I wonder, like, Moses, how long did you stand there before you realized this was special? Right? Right? And what's the first thing that happens? A voice comes out of the bush, speaks to him. Moses. That's what God sounds like. Moses. (laughs) Come near. Take off your sandals. The place you stand is holy. Ooh, boy. Oh, man, we ain't got time to camp there. Mm, Maybe we do, just a little bit. The... (laughs) When God calls you into his presence, he always invites you to remove something, to take something of yourself and lay it aside. That's why the presence of God is sometimes uncomfortable for people, because it's an opportunity for them to come into relationship with God, and in doing so, it requires that we lay something aside. Why did, why did God ask Moses? You ready to have your mind blown? Why did God ask Moses to take his sandals off? Why not his jacket? Why not his tunic? Why not his belt? Why not lay his staff down? Why was it the shoes? It has nothing to do with my message. Do you want to know why? Because in ancient Hebrew culture, when a man and woman get married, and their, their wedding night, they go in to consummate their marriage. Before they come into the bedchamber to consummate their marriage, both of them are required to take their shoes off before they go into their chamber. Why did God ask Moses to take his shoes off? Because he was inviting him into a special covenant relationship that nobody else on the planet got to experience but him. When God invites you into his presence, he's inviting you into a covenant relationship with himself. He's going to reveal something to you that nobody else gets to see but you. He's going to share a part of himself with you and he's inviting you to share all of yourself with him in a unique and intimate way that nobody else gets to experience. Take your shoes off. Moses, the place you stand is holy. It's special. It's consecrated. It's intense. It's a commitment. Amen? Let's keep going. Hallelujah. How did Abraham get to know God? God showed up and spoke. We're talking about the pattern of how God speaks to us, of how God reveals his character, right? Every time God wanted to reveal himself, he first spoke. Then he gave humans an opportunity to respond to what he spoke. And then he demonstrated what he spoke. He showed up to Abraham and he said, I'm the Lord your God. Walk before me and be blameless. Then he gave Abraham the opportunity to walk before him and be blameless. And then God demonstrated, I'm the Lord your God. Here's a son you don't deserve. You see, God always starts by speaking, by giving us a chance to respond to what he speaks, and then by demonstrating what he has spoken. Does that make sense? We have three different verses that we want to look at today to express seven different character traits of our God. It's going to be like cramming seven different messages into one. I'm going to do it in about 20 minutes, and you're going to be happy. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, let's look there first. I have seven different attributes of the character of God that we we value, that we celebrate at Hope Church. 1 Corinthians 13, I'll get it, 1 Corinthians 13, oh that's 2 Corinthians 13, Josh, no no, 1 Corinthians 13. This will be a familiar passage to most of us, and we want to look at the last verse of 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. So, verse Corinthians 13, 13. These are the first three attributes of God that we want to study today. It says, now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Amen. How many of you are familiar with that scripture? Now abide these three, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. We'll go real quickly through this, guys. We're not going to do a deep dive into these attributes, but I want to cover them just quickly. Now abide these three, faith, hope, and love. Love comes last, not because it's the least important, but because it's the most important. You always say the most important thing last, right? Right? Married people know this. Parents know this. What's the thing you really want your kids to get? You're going to say that last. Right? I need you to pick up your shoes. I need you to put your stuffed animals away. I need you to take them underwear off the floor in the bathroom. I need you to put these sneakers where they belong. And for heaven's sake, please finish your homework. Right? That's the most important one. So we leave it for last. Right? Right? Love is mentioned last here, not because it's the least important, but because it's the most. God is love. Amen. You missed a great chance to say amen right there. God is love. If there is one character trait that you need to remember more than any other... It's the fact that God is love. It's not merely something he has. It's not merely something he values. It is the essence of who he is. If there was a single word to define and describe the nature of God, it is love. 1 John tells us. John tells us. The Bible talks more about love, and, 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 and yet somehow... We pass over it, right? My pastor, Pastor Jonathan, said, has told me on a number of occasions. In fact, the first time I ever heard him preach, he preached about this. He was preaching about the subject of offense. The first time I ever met him, and I was so glued to his message, I was like, this guy's amazing. i got to get to know him. Little did I know that some years later, he'd be my pastor. But during this message, he mentioned this, and he's talked to me about it since, there was a, a period of time in his life when God was dealing with him about forgiveness and about living a life of love despite everything else he may be experiencing in that moment. And he said that he got his Amplified Bible. If you've ever never read the Amplified, it's really cool. It's very long-winded, but it's really good. And he said every single day for five, I think it was either four or five years, He read 1 Corinthians 13 in the Amplified and quoted it out of his mouth about himself every day. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love has no envy. Love is not proud. I am patient. I am kind. I do not have envy. I am not proud. I behave. I am not selfish or easily provoked. I think no evil. I spread truth instead of spreading lies. I bear all. I believe all. I hope for all. I endure. I never fail because the love of God is in me. And he would declare this chapter over himself every single day. You want to see your life grow? Determine you're going to walk in love. Determine that you're going to walk in love. The essence of who God is is defined and found in his love. What that means, guys, what that means is that everything which God does in our lives is motivated by his love. It's motivated by a position of love. How many of you with children have ever disciplined your kids because you love them? Mm -hmm. It's a hard one to swallow when you're on the other end, (laughs) right? How many of you just love getting disciplined by your parents when you were a kid? Oh, yes, daddy, please. Yes, oh, yes. Yeah, ground, no, 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 one week's not enough, ground me for another week. Nobody loves being disciplined. The book of Hebrews says that it's painful for a moment, but the result of it is the peaceable fruit of righteousness. When God, even when he in his love has to correct us, the purpose of it is to work righteousness on the inside of us. Whew, man, you come out of it closer to God than you went in. I'll take it. Amen. I'll take it. Now, he moves on to talk about faith. Love was mentioned last because it's the most important. Faith is mentioned next because it was mentioned first. Figure that out. <laughs> Why is faith mentioned first in this scripture? Because the Bible says over in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, that without faith, it's impossible to please God. One of the things you got to get comfortable with in your life and settle in your mind is that everything that you do for God and in his kingdom is going to require your faith. Yeah. Amen. Everything. Waking up in the morning and walking in love with your spouse requires faith. Hello. My wife and I went to dinner last night. We had a fantastic time. Went to Gideon Red. Yeah, hallelujah. Glory. Went to a really nice, my favorite, super nice restaurant last night. Had a phenomenal time. Had an intense conversation on the way home. Anybody ever had an intense conversation? <laughs> it was intense. But you know, we walked through that and we came on the other side of it and we, we, we resolved the thing we weren't seeing eye to eye on. And you know how we did it? I believe, by faith. Because, because I remembered that she loves me unconditionally and she remembered that I love her unconditionally. And because we had faith in each other's love for one another. We found our way out of that conversation and we resolved the thing we were talking about. Amen. How many of you know it's easy to have faith when you know how much God loves you? Just like it was easy for me to have faith in my wife and for her to have faith in me, it's easy for me to have faith in Jesus when I recognize how much he loves me. And when I settle in my mind once and for all, the faith is going to be required of me if I'm going to please God. Everything in your walk with Jesus is going to require you to trust him. How many of you have ever had to trust Jesus through a situation you could not see your way out of? Yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I've been there. If I could put all four limbs up, I would, okay? And then something fun happens. He says, now these three abide faith, hope, and love. Love comes last because it's the most important. Faith comes next because it comes first. And hope gets stuck in the middle. Stuck in the middle with you. (laughs) Hope gets sandwiched in the middle. You're going to want to write this one down. Hope gets sandwiched in the middle because hope is is always the most useful in the middle. You're going to need hope whether you're in the middle of your best day or whether you're in the middle of your worst day. Come on. Hope is most useful in the middle season. Anybody been in an uncomfortable middle? Anybody ever been in the middle of the boat when the wind and the waves are kicking up? What do you need in that moment? You need some hope. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Why, why, could, why could Jesus just stand up in the boat and command the seas to be quiet and then turn and look at his disciples and say, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Doubt is the byproduct of a lack of hope in our lives. You need hope in the middle. Amen. Now, let's keep going because I'm going to run out of time. Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 16, we're going to move on to the next two attributes, which are grace and mercy. Talking about the attributes of God. Y'all doing okay this morning? Yeah? Attributes one through three, faith, hope, and love. Attributes four and five, grace and mercy. How many of you are thankful for grace and mercy this morning? Glory to God. Hebrews chapter 4, and we're going to read verse 16. Is one of the best scriptures in the whole New Testament. It says, Therefore, let us come boldly before the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of our need. How many of you can say from your own experience That during your time of need, you went boldly before the throne, and you found the grace you needed, and you obtained the mercy that you needed. Amen? Now, these traits, grace and mercy, are often used interchangeably, but they are, in fact, very distinct and very different. Here's how I like to keep track of grace and mercy in my mind, okay? Mercy is when I don't get what I do deserve, Grace is when I do get what I don't deserve. Okay? They're very different even though we use them interchangeably. Oh, thank God for His mercy. Oh, thank God for His grace. And we think we're saying the same thing. But we're not. Here's a little illustration to help you remember that. Mercy is when I don't get what I deserve. Grace is when I get what I don't deserve. If I was to do about 120 in my car from this top of this hill down to Brown's Chapel over there, if I was to just book it and fly down through here and a police officer was to pull out and see me going on 120, I would get a mega ticket, right? Yeah, jail. Yeah, I'd go to jail. My license would be revoked. Because I'm a pastor, I'd be in the news right? Local pastor, stuns, you know, whatever. Local pastor, pulls stupid move, goes 120 on bamboo. Mercy in that situation is the police officer saying, you know what? You deserve a ticket. You deserve to go to jail. You deserve for me to impound your car. You deserve for me to take your license. You deserve for me to hit you in the head. Whatever. Whatever. You deserve all of this, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. You deserve all this stuff, but you know what? I'm not going to give any of it to you. What would you do? What would you do if the policeman said, I'm not going to give any of it to you? I would do a happy dance, right? Wouldn't you? Mercy is you don't get what's coming to you. Grace, on the other hand, is that same police officer Saying, you know what? Hang on here for just one second. Let me go grab my checkbook. And comes back and said, you know what? I just like you so much. Here's a five thousand dollar check. Your car looks like it could use a little bit of work, so here. Right? Now, how many of you know these two scenarios would never happen in the real world? Right? They don't happen. Amen. It just goes to prove to us and just serves as a reminder for us of how amazingly loving God really is. Because we can talk about that scenario and realize that that scenario absolutely never happens in this world. When you're dealing with the world, you always get what you deserve. You always get what's coming to you. Very little mercy to be found in this world. But not only that, grace gives you what you don't deserve. God is in heaven looking down on earth and saying, you know what? They don't deserve to be forgiven for their sins. They don't deserve it. But I'm going to forgive them anyway. And not only that, they absolutely don't deserve my son They don't deserve my grace. They don't deserve my love. They don't deserve my power. They don't deserve my peace. They don't deserve any of it. I'm going to give it to them anyway. They deserve my hand of judgment. My mercy says I'm not going to give that to them. They don't deserve my righteousness, but I'm going to give it to them. And the Bible says here in Hebrews chapter 4 that we get this beautiful thing, this beautiful opportunity. We get to come boldly before the throne of grace. And we get to do two things. We get to obtain mercy, and we get to find grace. I want you to notice, firstly, that it's a throne of grace. The place that God chose to establish his throne was his grace. Think about that for a moment. The place God chose to establish his throne was grace. God is all about giving you what you don't deserve, that's what he loves to do, y'all. Finally, before we move to our last scripture, y'all doing all right? Good. Y'all know I love you, right? The final verse I want to look at, or excuse me, before we get to our final verse, I want you to notice one more thing about this verse, Hebrews 4. It says that mercy is obtained, grace is found. Obtained. The word obtained indicates that there was some kind of exchange, right? If you obtain a new car, what did you do? You gave them some money and they gave you the keys, right? You obtained something. How do we obtain mercy? How do we obtain God's mercy? We exchange our faith for his mercy. Faith is kingdom currency. If you want to get somewhere with God, you give him your faith and he gives you something in return. Amen. That's how it works. So we obtain mercy by faith. When I go to the throne, I say, Lord, here I am. I don't deserve your mercy. I screwed up. I messed up. My life isn't perfect. I I failed again, Lord. But here I am. By faith, I receive your mercy. I receive the fact that I've been forgiven. I receive your lack of condemnation and judgment towards me. I receive your mercy. You do that by faith. And you know you do that by faith because how many of you have gone before God and everything in you feels so guilty. But by faith you say, Lord, I believe that the Bible says I'm the righteousness of God. I don't feel righteous, but here I am coming boldly before your throne. I am obtaining your mercy right now by faith. But notice grace doesn't work that way. Grace cannot be obtained. You cannot earn the grace of God. You cannot obtain the grace of God. All you can do is find it and take a hold of it. It's like this. We come before God. We're we're before his throne. Lord, I receive your mercy. I, by faith, obtain your mercy, and I turn and I look. Oh, there's some grace. Let me take a hold of it. Oh, there's some grace that I need. Ooh, there's some grace to love my my wife. Ooh, there's some grace to perform well on my job. Oh, there's some supernatural grace to, to be who I'm called to be. There's some grace to love that neighbor that I can't stand. Come on. You need grace from God. Where do you get it? In his presence. You gotta go before his throne. And it's in his throne that you discover his grace for your life. Amen. Finally, in the last couple minutes... Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Everybody's on devices now, so you can't hear pages turning anymore, and I miss that. I really do, I'm old school. Romans 15, verse 13. We preached on this some months ago. What a great scripture. It says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Ghost. What are the last two attributes? Joy and peace. What are the attributes that we celebrate at Hope Church? What are the, what are the characteristics of God, the character of God that we celebrate? Faith, hope, love, grace, mercy, joy, and peace. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you're going to be filled, or excuse me, if you are filled with joy and peace, according to this scripture, you will abound in hope. Meaning that if you allow God to fill you with his joy, if you allow him to fill you with his peace, you're going to abound in hope, which means you're going to have some hope to give to somebody else. You want to be one of the hope dealers that our t-shirts talk about? You gotta get filled with joy and with peace on the inside. You gotta get around Jesus long enough that his presence displaces out of you all the tension and the anxiety and the concern and the worry that the world wants to load you up with. That's why we casted our cares upon the Lord this morning at the beginning of the message. Because we're we're unloading all the junk that the world's been meticulously strapping onto your back all week. We come into his presence, I say, Lord, get this junk off of me because I want to get filled up with your joy and with your peace so that I abound in hope and I can give hope to somebody else. That's the recipe to being a hope dealer. Now, joy and peace, just a couple more moments, guys, we're almost there. Joy and peace are not emotions. I want to I be real clear about that for a second. Joy and peace are not emotions. These are character traits of our God. And these character traits are traits that he intends to be our state of being. Amen. This is, joy is not an emotion that you get to experience. It's a way of life for the Christian. Peace is not, a, is not a feel-good moment. It's a way of life for the Christian. Did you know you can be at peace when everything around you is chaotic? Did you know you can be at peace when everything in your mind is chaotic? How could Jesus be in a boat sleeping in the middle of a storm where his disciples are freaking out? I want to submit it for your consideration for a moment. If you've ever seen pictures of the Middle East, if you've ever seen pictures or if you've ever been to the Sea of Galilee where these guys were, and if you've ever seen the fishing boats that they used, these were not, you know, mega yachts, okay? They weren't cabin cruisers. They weren't 35 or 40 or 75 meter three deck cabin cruisers with a beautiful estately bed at the back of the boat, It was one cabin. It was probably about 13 or 14 feet long. There was a bunch of guys in the boat. It's raining. It's tossing them. Somehow Jesus is still sleeping in the back of that thing. See, we think he's in some kind of glorious cabin. He's not. He was getting hit with the same raindrops Peter was. He was getting pelted by the same waves, but somehow he's asleep. How? His state of being was peace. His state of being was joy because his state of being was perpetually connected to God. He's constantly connected to God. That's the only reason he was the only one in the boat that could stand up and tell the storm to be quiet. Why could he release peace to the storm? It's because he had peace to give. He had peace to release. Hello. Y'all remember the 90s? Release the peace. He had peace to release because of his perpetual connection to God. You see, these are not emotions, but we treat them like emotions. We chase after them like they're emotions. We think we don't have peace when we don't feel peace. Ooh. We think we don't have joy because we feel something. We feel an emotion. I want to submit to you that your emotions are temporary, but joy and peace are supposed to be your perpetual state. I like what uh, Chris Valatin says. He says, emotions make wonderful servants and terrible masters. Isn't that good? Emotions make wonderful servants and terrible masters. And I'm not here to say that you should reject or neglect your emotions. You should. You shouldn't. Emotions are a great, you know, they're a great indicator of where you're at. So I'm not saying you shouldn't pay attention to them. What I am saying is you shouldn't let them be your boss. Amen. You shouldn't let them be your boss. Take note of how you feel emotionally and then take that to the Lord and say, Lord, how should I feel? You, you get to tell me, God, by your word, you get to tell me by your voice how I'm supposed to feel, how I'm supposed to react in this situation. I'm not going to bury and squish down my emotions, but by God, I'm not going to let them make my decisions for me. Amen. Many people confuse joy with happiness. Happiness is the emotional byproduct of a life of joy and peace. If you pursue God, you'll be established in His joy. You'll be established in His peace. These will become your baseline being for existence, and happiness will be the result. Most of the time, we pursue God by trying to pursue happiness first, hoping to arrive at joy, hoping to arrive at God. Works the other way around, guys. Pursue Jesus. Your state of being will be joy and peace. People, people around you will be flaking out and freaking out, and you'll just be steady Eddie. Yeah. You'll just be consistent. Oh, yeah, yeah, I got joy on the inside. I got peace on the inside. I'm not going to get rocked by this situation. And you know what will be the byproduct of that? Happiness. Yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't work if you put it in reverse. It doesn't work if we pursue happiness. That's just an emotion. Peace will become... Somebody keeps messaging me. Do y'all hear that? That is my child's friend messaging her, and it's shown up on my iPad. I'm about to cast the devil out of this iPad in the name of Jesus. Okay, all right, here we go, here we go, here we go. (laughs) Joy will become your emotional... State and peace will be, or excuse me, joy will become your baseline and peace will become your baseline and your emotions will follow in suit. Peace will become the basis for your decision-making. Joy will safeguard your emotions and peace will safeguard your decisions. How many of you have ever, like me, have made terrible decisions based on off-kilter emotions? rather than letting joy be the thing that safeguards my emotions and peace being the thing that safeguards my decisions. We make decisions based on the peace of God. The Bible says that the peace of God guards our hearts and minds. Amen? These character traits, all seven of them, I did pretty good. I packed seven messages into one message. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Josh. You're welcome. Yes, sir. Thank you. These character traits are part of God's nature, and they're something that he wants to build, us to build our lives upon. We celebrate these aspects of God's character, and we make it our goal to build this ministry around these traits. Hope Church will always and forever be a church of faith, a church of hope, a church of love, a church of grace, a church of mercy, a church of joy, and a church of peace. It's our prayer that everyone who comes through one of these doors knows that and gets to experience it and live in the reality of it. That's what we believe in. Guys, these are the things we value. God's word, God's presence, God's family, God's character, and God's culture. Excuse me, I said the last two out of order. God's culture and God's character. Faith, hope, love, grace, peace, joy, and hope. What did I forget? Grace, mercy. I forgot mercy. Faith, hope, love, grace, mercy, joy, peace. We want to see these characteristics and these values permeate our church. We believe they already do. But we're defining it so that each and every time we think about what is our church about? What are the things that we value? What is our vision? Why are we here? That these become the things that we fall back on. We're a people of his word. We're a people of his presence. We're a people who's all about his family. We're a people who cares about God's culture. And we're a people that are living in pursuit of his character all the time. Amen? Do y'all feel as full as I feel? I feel like I just ate a seven-course meal at a really good restaurant. That was last night. Praise God. Let's stand up to our feet. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.